I'm thrilled because I've just bought a double bin. A double bin wave action. Hoping it might fix the domino raiding the bin so I don't have to put my bins up on the side. Well, it's another goodie today. Hello, by the way, it's Will Young from the Wellbeing Lab. Is it a lab or is it an attic? It's a bloody hot attic. Amy, for future notes, can we record seasons during winter months or get an outdoor studio? Today, we're talking to Jessica Boston, who's a hypnotherapist. I'm gonna say this is in my top three favorite chats ever. It's quite remarkable and quite mind blowing. We started the chat by me asking her how she got into hypnotherapy. Prepare to have your mind blown. I got into hypnotherapy because I think I was always fascinated in hypnosis. I think even as a child, when I try and make sense of it, I remember being very curious about Carl the snake in the Jungle Book. And that's the eyes. Yeah, and just like, you know, when I was explained that that was hypnosis, just being like, well, what is that? I need to understand that more. And there were all these moments where I see I sort of was always very interested in it. And I remember my mum having a Paul McKenna tape and then again being interested in it. But my main interest in it came from having basically a lot of struggles growing up and not really finding anything that ever, ever turned it over. You know, things that felt like they were better for a moment, but never really, really getting me to a point where I ever thought I would be okay in life. And I remember a session I had with a hypnotherapist who then went on to be my teacher. I think that was probably the first time in my life where I ever felt very confident that actually things could be different. And I had to know everything, like how, what had happened, why had that happened. And yeah, and then from there, the rest is history. That's quite amazing. So in a way, I sort of what I make up is that you found your sort of, I don't want to say miracle cure, but... (laughs) I think it was in a way. Yeah. Did it feel like that? It did. I remember that first session, because again, like I said, I'd had therapy that kind of moved things a little bit and were okay to get through a week or a month, but nothing I ever thought would make enough of a difference. And I remember that first session thinking... Actually, essentially, when I look back on it with a bit of understanding is that it was the first thing that had ever kind of penetrated the shame, the deep, deep, deep shame, and actually made me realise that the shame wasn't mine to carry. And it was the only thing that had actually made me feel that in my body and actually really, really believe that because I could intellectually and in theory understand, yeah, okay, I shouldn't be the one carrying the shame but nothing really ever made a difference enough to make any kind of change in my life. I think what really excited me about it was that I'm a very creative person and I think that's why my depression growing up was so bad because I was so good at making up amazing stories about who I was in the world like when I say amazing I mean deeply depressing (laughs) and it was the first thing that actually ever showed me, oh, you can use this creativity to make up a much better story for your life. And I'm really inspired by that. Oh, gosh, that's so brilliant. And I really, really like resonated when I heard you talk about shame. And I think because I could feel it, it resonated in my own shame and what that feels like and the journey it goes on for myself to sort of 
know that that isn't mine you know mm. and 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 it's quite a heavy thing to feel I think so I, I really just want to share that I really resonate with that and okay so let's break it down what does hypnosis do what's it doing to us biologically scientifically well the word hypnosis I mean that can also apply to stage hypnosis so if we're talking about hypnotherapy if we're talking about hypnosis when used therapeutically because they are different things and again you might ask a hundred hypnotists and hypnotherapists what hypnosis is and there's always a bit of a struggle in the community to get us to agree on exactly what it is would it be a better question to ask what is hypnotherapy if we're talking about therapy yeah it's just very big and yeah. it's a very broad term that is very vast and very misunderstood so hypnotherapy is the therapeutic application of hypnosis so then that does come back to <laughs> what is hypnosis but hypnotherapy is essentially we're using a state of focus to essentially reprioritize what your subconscious mind has made important. So if you are in survival mode and your subconscious mind is prioritizing danger, essentially a process called neuroception where your mind and body are searching for danger and it's wired to look for the danger in every context if you are in this state and it will find it because your subconscious is incredibly creative and it can create it if it can't find it you know it can take a look oh that person looked at me funny this can mean xyz and create that reality for you so in this process we are inviting the subconscious to examine moments in time where it didn't essentially have the opportunity to process what was going on in that moment and kind of reevaluate the reality of that situation and decide how it wants to proceed. You're essentially giving the subconscious choice, the choice it didn't have at the time. So what I'm thinking of when I hear you say that is about specifically something like a trauma maybe that yes. has happened in someone's past and could you use hypnotherapy to revisit a trauma? And you have to be, because again, trauma is a very vast and I would say slightly misunderstood term these days because it is so widely discussed. You know, for years, trauma was a thing that people weren't really talking about and now it's all people are talking about. Yes. So again, whenever it belongs to the public conversation, it does slightly change its meaning and it probably becomes a little bit bigger. Yes. Yeah, so I suppose a sense of or something from someone's past maybe exactly how I tend to look at it is not so much through a lens of trauma I do look at it through a lens of trauma but because that word and that concept can get confusing to clients for me I'm examining moments where trust was broken mm. and then you can understand what that did to somebody's perception of reality and what that did to their relationship with themselves and what that did to their relationship with others around them and what that did to their relationship with everything and when you look at it like that it takes the pressure off it to think of it like trauma because for years if you know if you think look, think about books like the body keeps the score trauma was only considered things like war and genocide yeah. and very serious abuse yeah. but actually if you look at it through a lens of broken trust, you can examine that actually it doesn't have to be huge. And again, I say this in inverted commas because that is person to person mm. and we're not here to decide whether something is big. It only matters how your mind and body made sense of it. And if we look at it through that lens, then we can invite the mind and body to 
change its perception of that situation. We aren't here to say, oh, it's all fine or it's not a big deal or none of that, or even to celebrate it or say, you know, thank you for happening. It's none of that. It's just what can we learn from this moment in time that is helpful to your subconscious so that it stops going back to it all the time to try and make sense of it. And I think you've just put something in a very succinct way, hearing you talk about broken trust, and also that something can be so big for someone. I I always say, if I go into a supermarket and me dropping the eggs in the supermarket creates a certain reaction, then that is my reaction. Yeah. You know, no one else lives in my body. So not really for anyone else to pass judgment. And I couldn't pass judgment on anyone else. Now I can observe people's actions, behaviours, all those kind of things. But I think you've just put it in a really wonderful way. So I did hypnosis for overheating, ironically. Now I'm in my Mm. very hot attic. (laughs) But I have limited experience of hypnotherapy. What will happen when someone comes in to see you for a session? Hypnotherapist to hypnotherapist will work differently. The way that I work is that I'm always body first. So I want to know what's going on in your body and your body will tell us what we want to do in the sessions. So I will map out the emotion and that's how I'll find out what it is that needs to be worked on. Because again, there might be a disconnect. You'll find a lot when you're talking to somebody, they'll say, they'll try and justify it consciously or say, you know, consciously, this is very embarrassing or I know better. But if the body doesn't know better, then it's not helpful. It's a a way of describing it as thinking like sort of two managers and one of them knows how the business is run and the other doesn't. And the one that knows keeps stepping in saying, this is very embarrassing, you know, we should know better. But until you get the other one to understand, and especially if the other one's got more power, your subconscious always has more power than the conscious. So it's really important that we don't pass judgment and that we invite the subconscious parts to lead the session no shame, no judgment, whatever it is, no matter how silly you think it is, it's not silly if it exists and it has to be addressed. So we invite the subconscious to feel very safe and then we can map out through the body what's going on and then we can trace it back. We can make sense of when it began, why, what it's connected to and usually what we'll be doing is looking at a feeling that's come up. So a client might say, oh, in the last week, Uh, you know, I was at the supermarket and I just got so angry and I didn't know why I got so angry. It didn't make sense. And then we trace it back and you go, oh, it's linked to that time that my father said X, Y, Z. And we go, right, okay, it's making sense because the body does always make sense, no matter how weird it seems. There's always a reason because your body doesn't do anything randomly. It doesn't have the energy to expend into randomness. So it has to be clever but just not in a way that you might fully understand and once we have that information we can invite the body to see that it no longer makes sense to hold on to this reaction that actually this is not a good expenditure of energy this is not a good long-term strategy essentially a survival strategy is not a good solution for life it's a short-term solution but if you do short-term solutions for long periods of time it's just not going to work it's not designed to work it's like putting a plaster on a wound forever yeah trying to do a sprint for a marathon it works to get you out of danger for 100 meters but you're not going to finish the marathon and the thing is is that our body will do this a lot it will go right I've come up with a short-term strategy but no one's told me to assess the strategy 
and I haven't really had any time to assess it. Life has carried on. I've got to feed my cat. I've got to go to work. I've got to pay the bills. I don't have time to sit down and figure out why this strategy isn't working. So it really is an opportunity to look at this and say, let's do something different. Let's move out of survival. And then through the audios I make for my clients, we retrain that part of your thinking and we say, this is how we do it. This is what it's going to look like to move from this kind of action into this kind of action. And for people that are listening, I mean, I'm a huge fan of following the body in Mm -hmm. in anything therapeutic. I love somatic work. And I really related to you talking about the different managers. I mean, sometimes, you know, if I get very bad anxiety, of course, like my head will be like, come on, we've got to go, whatever it could be, walk the dog. But my body is like, no, no, we're not doing that. Mm. We're absolutely not doing that. And then I get into conflict between the two. Yeah. And I I just wonder if it would be really, because sometimes people don't always know, or they might get confused when we talk about the body and and how that works so when you're talking about the body in a session are you talking about accessing where emotions might lie in certain areas of the body yeah exactly we're talking about the kind of main energy centers the throat the chest the stomach and we're tracing that information i think it's a really important point what you've brought up because what i will find in a lot of people that don't understand that the body and the mind can separate and again, it's not, we're not talking literally because we're one unit, we're one lump of skin, but they can decide to go off in different directions if they've sort of, again, this is a metaphor, this isn't literal, but, you know, fallen out with each other. There's like a disconnect between them. Like a split, like splitting. It's like a split. Yeah. There's, there's no longer any trust between these parts and they will decide to do their own thing. And again, if you had a business where two managers were doing different things, you would say, okay, it makes sense that we're not getting any work done. Nobody knows what we're doing. But when it's us, we also tend to panic when there's that split because we've heard that, oh, okay, it might be bipolar disorder. It might be multiple personality disorder. It might be schizophrenia. So people will be too afraid to even talk about this because they'll think this split might be more serious. And if it's more serious, I might be even more dangerous to myself than I once believed I was, as opposed to it's actually very normal for these parts to kind of do their own thing and try and survive out here in the wilderness and just think, right, you go over there, you go over there and let's see who comes back first. Well, and also I would say that we're not really encouraged to listen to our bodies. I mean, maybe it's getting better, but it's all it's all about mantras and this and that. And what I've learned, what doesn't work for me, maybe works for other people. And I'm very wary of it when people sort of talk about, you repeat this over and over again and it's all in the mind and you just follow the mind. I'm like, mm, it's going to catch up with you in the end. And this comes from someone that was terribly good at creating, you know, I, I could avoid my emotions, stuff in, that my body was telling me by going to be more successful or going to do this and that. Yeah. So it's not said with judgment, but we're not really, I think we're still taught, look at the mind. Everything's in the mind. You can solve your thinking. You can solve, you know. Therapy has changed. So, and again, this is technology, has changed quicker in the last 10 years than it has for 100 years. And for 100 years, talking therapy has been the gold standard. It has been just have a conversation about it and that will fix it. And unless that talking therapy includes elements of the body, but it's unlikely that it will have unless it's 
fairly recently because now there is a lot of crossover in therapies. A lot of therapists have access to everything. You know, we mm. have access to absolutely everything. You can incorporate different modalities. But I found growing up talking therapy just didn't work for me it was just I would just literally go from therapist to therapist and I would relay my problems like a script and it was all logic it was all in theory and theory and theory but until I learned that I have to lead with my emotions it has to be emotions first and I have to explore what these emotions have been trying to tell me I've been running away from them I've been terrified of them. And also it can feel very shaming, I think, because of it's course. like, you know, talk therapy quite often. The underlying thing is, well, what's wrong with me? You know, what is wrong with me? Let's get to the bottom of that. Let's get a diagnosis. And also, and this comes up quite a lot, actually, funny enough, in this podcast, the types of therapies that are offered, like cognitive behavioural therapy, which I've used, I think can be very useful for certain things. But if you're not getting it right, and it's back on you again because, well, you're not getting it. But the problem's stuck in the body. We're not working with our body. It's also incredibly binary. Yes. And anything binary is judgment. Anything binary implies that there's a good and a bad, a right and a wrong, which is essentially a more childish, more afraid part of us. We want to come back into curious thinking. We want to come back into spectrum thinking and if we are being judged for the things we cannot do as if you know again like you say cbt cbt also implies that something suddenly changed enough for you to be able to do it but if you aren't inviting the subconscious to understand why it's now safe and guiding it into that safety lovingly spaciously compassionately and curiously why would anything have changed why would suddenly it go okay well you're just going to split off even more aren't you i mean the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Can we access the body by accessing the subconscious? Yes. Well, you are accessing the body because you're essentially accessing the protective parts. Yeah. So you are talking to the guards of you, your alarms, and you can do that through the body because you can find out what the alarms are doing. You can find out the intention. And once you do that, you get out of this idea of good and bad and right and wrong, and you look at it through more of a survival lens. Why did the alarm go off? In the same way you would, if you went into your house and the alarm went off, you would try not to panic about the alarm going off like you might, but you would just get curious. What happened? Was it a squirrel by the window? Was it somebody actually trying to get in? What was it? And when we approach it through this lens of 
survival and trying to understand why your body's been trying to keep you safe in this fairly extreme way because after a while the alarms will just get louder and more urgent. The first part of that is what a relief. There's a real sense of okay I'm not completely broken, my body's actually incredibly intelligent, just nobody has ever told me how intelligent it is. This is part of a really elaborate system that my body has designed to keep me alive. I don't love it but (laughs) wow (laughs) amazing. Now when we know that and we have the information of what the body's been trying to do, we can invite it out of those systems. We can invite it into a new perspective. And again, this is a co-creation. This isn't me saying, hey, I think you should do this, or this is the right way to do it. No, like you tell me, this is what I want to think about now. This is what I want to feel now. And then we guide the body into that new state, into that new perspective. And we help along the way set it up. So we set it up in your environment, we set it up in your beliefs, we set it up in your behaviour, in your identity. We set it up so that it really does have a chance of growing. Mm. It's like planting lots and lots of little seeds and seeing which one is the most successful. It's really interesting because when I was hearing you then talking about setting it up and and looking at the environment and giving it the best chance, I felt my own protective system come up and go, we're not going to do that. Isn't that interesting? So even even though I'm just hearing you talk about it generally, and I think I'm of a fairly good egotistical state that I'm not constantly approaching every conversation as if it's about me. But as my old therapist, Lois Evans, would say, I'm modelling my reaction as an example of how sensitive our protective parts are. Totally. And I guess how nuanced and sensitive the process must be. Incredibly, because even when I have a conversation, because I'll have a conversation with everybody before they decide to to work with me. And I mean, I remember when I was embarking on my own journey to change, I was so terrified of doing any kind of self-work because I thought, okay, well, what if I lose my sense of humour? You know, that's the only great thing that trauma has given me. What if um, I lose my sense of kind of quirkiness or fun? What if I become dull? So many systems are set up in the body to protect you from even looking at the systems. It's like a parent sort of saying, don't go near the plug socket because it will electrocute you. Okay, cool. Our own body is doing that all of the time to make sure that we don't even go close to the systems it's set up. They're very clever because they're so convincing and so compelling that we go, oh, well, that sounds about right. Yeah, of course, I'm not going to do that because that sounds really radical. This work is really subtle. It sounds like I'm going to give you a personality transplant. Not at all. It doesn't feel like that. And I can really, I guess, because I've done a lot of work on and I really relate to the idea of protective, you know, mechanisms and also how many layers there are that can stop me going to do something I'm, I'm deliberately talking about myself in the, in, the, in the eye you know and how our thinking can be so okay here's an example so this is because of past trauma and it was sort of continued trauma for a long time I can often uh, weekends very difficult and I've got to a stage now where even though my body is in one place and it's really hard it's not pleasant my mind will want to be doing something so it will start thinking well you've got no friends you've got this or you should never have got that and I've got to a stage now where I can observe those thoughts but I mean a year ago those thoughts would have been realities Mm. and I know that it's just another form of my brain's trying to make sense of 
you know, something he doesn't quite understand. But it's just, I'm just using my, that as an example of how layered we are as people and what a hard journey it can be, but also how amazing our facility is to survive. Our facility yeah. to survive is unsurpassed. I think when you start to think like a subconscious mind thinks, because most people don't think like that, in that they don't always think of things through a lens of survival. Mm. And I think I've essentially trained myself to look at everything through a lens of survival, because every behaviour will make sense if you look at it through that lens. And how clever every single thing your body comes up with to keep you safe, even negative self-talk is such a clever way of protecting yourself because we've been evolving for thousands and thousands of years. We know that if your body just said, hey, don't go and speak in public, please, you'd go, well, no, I have to. That's my job. It has to be more compelling. It has to find ways to frighten you out of it, to say, oh, yes. you're rubbish. No one's ever been a worse public speaker than you because it will shut you down physically. And then that's the end of that. Brilliant. I kept you alive for another day. Aren't you happy? But isn't that interesting? Because actually I found when I embrace you know, here you talk about the subconscious and embrace that sort of survival drive. It's like everything comes together and there isn't a split anymore. Yeah. And suddenly it's like, I suppose, the machine's working, Yeah. you know. And once you create these recordings, would you have sort of, I mean, I would imagine it varies client to client, but is it a certain amount of sessions and then you recommend listening to a recording once a day, twice a day, probably not whilst you're driving a car? Yeah, not while operating heavy machinery. Yeah, do you know what I mean? <laughs> not while you're mowing the lawn. Definitely um, not. Is there a sort of average of how long someone might come and see you for before they then are left with a sort of custom made? So I have different programs. So I can work with people for a week. That's a public speaking program I have. And then I have a month program and then I have a three month. The three month program is my trauma program and that's where we're kind of getting a chance for the mind and body to become friends again and to look at everything that you haven't really had a chance to look at because life happens and we really don't get a chance to assess what it is we don't trust anymore and how we've got the way we are so it's like an opportunity to put everything out on the table and decide how you want to move forward and we would meet once a week and every week you get a recording and each recording has a specific focus. There might be a lot of crossover in themes, but we'll be addressing kind of common subconscious themes and modern themes, you know, themes around scarcity and urgency, things that we're conditioned into, whether we like it or not, through capitalism and the world that we live in. We'd be looking at abandonment for sure, because that's the subconscious mind's greatest struggle and something that it needs time with. Be looking at grieving things you never had a chance to grieve and celebrating things you never had a chance to celebrate. So person to person, there will be things that will be commonalities because mm. we're all human, but everybody, it's very, very custom and bespoke to that person. And also to the metaphors that they love, the art that they love, the messages that inspire you song lyrics anything you find powerful and inspiring anything from the antiques roadshow for me <laughs> just the theme tune in the background <laughs> if it's bunny campione with a teddy i'm in 
you know what I mean? <laughs> but if you told me that, I would find a way to bring that into the meditation for yeah. sure. Well, I guess they're your sort of allies that you're bringing in. Of course. Or, or, you know, if it's Harry Potter, it would be your Patronus. <laughs> I mean, the idea of Bunny Campioni as a Patronus is now yeah, absolutely, but that's make, absolutely making me want to do a one-man show. <laughs> but that's a kind of common session, honestly. That That is a kind of common thing that we would do. We would get a power symbol that you find inspiring because the, the subconscious speaks a language of symbols and metaphor, story, feelings. You're, you're finding things that work within its language and you're finding things the subconscious speaks in a language of this equals this. So you're looking to find things that it finds very, very easy to compare. That's why it loves metaphor. In a way, it feels quite childlike then, though. In, yeah. in a great way. I mean, it's sort Absolutely. Of youthful, verdant, living, in the now kind of present thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a more animalistic part. So it likes things in a more simple way. I think because, and this is just a theory that I have, but I think because people equate the subconscious with Sigmund Freud is that they think that the, your subconscious is also going to be some sort of beardy intellectual. And yes. it's actually, I always say your subconscious is more like finding a frightened dog under a car. Yeah. It's a bit afraid it's lost trust it doesn't know if it should go with you if it should go with somebody else it doesn't really know what it's doing anymore mm. it needs a hug it needs some love and once you start to look at it through that lens that this dog has been trying to survive so let's be nice to it and let's start treating it accordingly as opposed to some super 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 smart part of you that needs everything explained in some intellectual way actually your subconscious speaks a language of what is trustable and what is not and if it's lost trust in everything yeah. it's going to look like a frazzled dog under a car i think i'm getting a wider picture of what hypnotherapy is because i thought people might just come in you have a nice comfy chair and you talk in a very nice lilt, and they get hypnotised and they go. But it's more overarching than that, isn't it? There would definitely be hypnotherapists that do that. Yeah. And there would definitely be hypnotherapists that would read you a nice script, and this is nothing against scripts because they can be amazing. It's like saying, what is your hairdresser going to do? Because you're going to get hairdressers that have amazing techniques and that have less exciting techniques but still give you a haircut. It's, it's a bit like that. So... I think because it's so misunderstood, everybody thinks we're going to do the same thing. And yeah, you could definitely go and see a hypnotherapist that would just read you something and you would go and that would be enough maybe for your issue. But again, when you're doing trauma work or something that might be a little bit more in depth in the body, I don't know that that is going to be as effective as working in this way. And to access those sort of deeper places of the subconscious and within the body are there sort of techniques that you learn to do that is there a certain repetition of certain words and a certain timing that you know will work well for the subconscious or is that state secret no it's not state secret you're looking to get the client into a trance state but again this is really misunderstood what a trance state is because there are depths to the state so people also will assume that they have to go somewhere really deep like to be effective you have to go to the deepest trance state possible this again will also really put people off because they will be really afraid of losing control and again mm. if you've been out of trust for a really long time there's nothing scarier than giving all of your control to a stranger so this is why it can be really off-putting in fact we are using this state to put you back in control of your life 
but you don't have to go into this super, super, super deep state because the way that Trevor, my teacher, explains it is that when you are in your problem, which is, again, a trance, the trance of your problem, the state so let's say you're walking to the shop and you start thinking oh gosh I've got a really big tax bill or now I'm in the problem state and I'm going through the motions of it how am I going to pay it and if I don't pay it what will happen and I'm going to end up under a bridge and then blah 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 you know the whole story the whole trance of this situation you didn't have to go into a deep state to access that problem so you don't need to go into a deep state to find the solution you only need to go as deep as the problem is yes so you you don't have to go to this sort of trance like completely out of control not be able to communicate dribbling out of no, one side of your mouth not at all i think sometimes people want to go to that state because again it's like permission sometimes people will go into that state because they feel super trusting and super safe to be able to explore that but again when you've you're working with somebody who's been in a traumatized state for a long time I don't expect on a first session with anybody for them to be able to relax their nervous system enough and go into a state deep enough for them. Because it's again another pressure. I'm trying to take the pressure off. If now you feel the pressure to go to the deepest state possible to get your money's worth, this is another stress. So no, we just need to go as deep as you are able to make a difference. And then we can build on that. We can then build on the trust that we've created in your nervous system. But if I'm making you think like you have to go to this place to get a result, they're just going to be thinking about that the whole session. So absolutely not take the pressure off. You really, really don't have to be worried about deepness of state. Go to the level that you are able to and you'll have somebody there guiding you. What an interesting lens of seeing humanity through hypnotherapy and seeing things like subconscious, because you're right, that has been, you know, something that's almost seems a bit scary, you know, like, well, you're subconscious, don't want to dive into that. What's it saying about you and your mum? Do you know what I mean? Or (laughs) you and your dad? I mean, it's been made quite a scary place, whereas actually it's a sort of, well, everything that you've described. So, I mean, I guess... If people think, oh, I I couldn't go and see hypnotherapy, I mean, it sounds like you've mentioned public speaking, Mm -hmm. you've mentioned trauma. It seems to me that if anyone's having difficulty with anything, they could come and see someone like yourself. Yeah, I think, again, another kind of common thing that people think about hypnotherapy, because this is what I'll always get at parties or, oh, my cousin went to see someone for hypnotherapy for stop smoking and it was great. And, And that's where they think it begins and ends. And I rarely see people for not smoking anymore because I personally, I can do it, but I find it quite uninspiring and I'm much more inspired by the mysteries of being a human and trauma and feelings and the weird and wonderful and I find smoking quite mundane. But it's so limitless. You know, over the years, the things that I've worked on, because people ask me all the time, like, what's a normal day for you? And I'm like, there is no normal day. It's as weird and wonderful as human beings are. Mm. And that means that it, we can really do a lot. And it's never boring. And it's always very interesting. And people will, they'll be afraid to approach a hypnotherapist because also people will think that they're the weirdest person ever. People will say to me every day, you've never heard a problem like this. This is the weirdest thing you're ever going to hear. And I'm like, I've been doing this for 12 years. That's a nice little story you've just told me. So I just encourage people, don't let your own subconscious talk you out of getting help because you think that you are the weirdest and you've got the weirdest problem anyone's ever heard. Because it won't be. To somebody else, it will just be 
probably not that dissimilar from something they've heard that morning. And if someone wants to get in touch with you, how can they? You can go to my website, jessicaboston.com. That's probably the easiest way. Well, Jessica, thank you so much. That was, I'm going to say, one of my favourite chats. Thank you. This was one of my favourite chats. Is your mind blown? My mind is. She just made a lot of sense. Now, I mean, I've done a lot of work on things like bodywork and done a lot of reading and things like that. So I am aware that some of those things that we were talking about might seem a bit alien. But then I think that Jessica put them in a succinct way. But if you've got any questions, then do let me know. And I'm saying this not because I think, dear listener, that you're not smart or intelligent people. It's because before I knew about bodywork, I never could have it. So I'm not judging your intelligence. I'm just proffering that up in case uh, it's not making sense. Because it didn't to me for a while. But let us know if you've had any good results from hypnotherapy or if you're thinking this could work for me. And, you know, do get in touch with Jessica because she sounds like she knows, as they say in the business, she knows her shit. Well, here are your letters. I wish we had like a basket of letters. We don't, do we, Amy? That would be lovely. Maybe we should just write them out. Maybe we should restart PO boxes for anything other than paying parking fines. Uh, Here we go. I will, I've only just discovered it, but I do love the podcast. I love that you're so open and honest and humble that I'm not, I'm honest, I'm really not, I'm quite an unpleasant individual, that you have some amazing guests and you're talking about topics that most of us feel are so ashamed about, so we're unable to talk with other people about them. I've suffered from depression and anxiety since my childhood. I've had therapy on and off for the last 30 years. I found that yoga and meditation are really helpful. I retrained as a yoga teacher. Oh, I just had a real sort of pang of empathy for you. Uh, But sometimes I still feel like I just don't want to be here. Oh, yes, no, I feel you on that. I've managed to be sober for the last three years. Well done. And I feel like that's my greatest achievement. I think that's a very good achievement. Now working to tame my addictive behaviour in other areas. Keep up the good work. It sounds like you're very um, self-aware. You know, be kind to yourself. That's the key thing. Because sometimes we're like, I should be doing this, I should be doing this, I have to be doing all of this. We're not perfect. And if you're trying your hardest, that's all you can do. I mean, you know, imagine you were talking to a kid. What would you say to them? You wouldn't be like chastising them constantly. One would hope. Thank you for being in touch and good luck and keep going. Hey, Will, just listen to the episode about forest bathing. I, for one, am a massive believer in the natural health service. Mm. I've lived in West Wales for the last 26 years and have access to rivers, hills, woods and the sea. It's given my general well-being a huge boost and really helped me manage anxiety. Well done, you. Uh, Another great podcast, Will, episode topic suggestion for you. Look at FND. It's a condition where mental health factors such as severe stress alter the neurological pathways in the brain and create real physical symptoms such as paralysis. Oh, that's interesting. It's an example of how severe things can get when you don't look after your mental health. Well, often, actually, I do think we might have physical symptoms, uh, but it's actually just our way of the body saying... Stop, something's wrong. Anyway, what a smorgasbord and what a variety of messages then. Thank you very much for getting in touch. As ever, email hello at wellbeinglabpodcast.com, Twitter at the Wellbeing Lab, Instagram and Facebook at the Wellbeing Lab Podcast. Next week, it's perfectionism. Very, very interesting interview with a book attached. I do believe we've done this perfectly, Amy. Goodbye. Did you know the Wellbeing Lab is produced by Audio AF and is part of the ACAST Creator Network? It's true.